Heavenly Father, Lord, how grateful we are, Lord, for the opportunity to gather with your people, to gather in your presence tonight, Lord. Lord, we come before you humbly, Lord, God, recognizing within ourselves, Lord, we have nothing, Lord, that we can say or do, Lord, that would impart life, Lord God. But Lord, if you come down, Lord, and you anoint, Lord, every part of this service, every word that we may speak, Lord, then life can be imparted, Lord, because truly you are life. Lord, it's that anointing that comes that breaks every chain, that it's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes, Lord, to the realities of God. Lord, may we not just come tonight and impart any type of knowledge, Lord, but Lord, may you, Lord, get preeminence in everything we say and do. May you come down and anoint the word, I pray, Father. Lord, just give us clarity of mind, Lord God, and clarity of speech. Shut our mouth, Lord, at any place that wouldn't please you. I pray, Lord God, now that you'll just take control of this vessel, Lord. I yield it to you. I pray you'll bless these people, Lord God, as we sit here in your presence. I pray that we hear from heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll open your Bible with me tonight to 2 Timothy 3, we'll read from verse 1. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Can you say that we've arrived there? Yes, sir. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those who are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We're given a clue about these people right here. They love an intellectual gospel. They're ever learning. They, they love information. They, they love to, to hear things, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 8, now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. May the Lord add his blessings to the word. You may have your seats. Tonight, if you'll bear with me, we're going to go through quite a few scriptures and quite a few quotes and just try to lay some, some truths from the word in, in there. And, and I pray that all things we say today can come in the right spirit. And we, and we recognize that when, when we say things or we, or we address error, that it's never done with malice and it's never done to attack individuals, but only when we, when we see things foretold in the scriptures and we see those things begin to come to pass and we see people that are, that are blinded to it and they begin to err and go down the wrong road or head towards Emmaus as it were. We feel like it's our duty as a servant of the Lord to cry out against those things. And say that there, you don't have to walk in blindness. There's a great blinding going on in the age, but, but we're promised an ISAF. And, and that ISAF tonight is free and offered to anyone who's willing to accept it. So we're going to lay some things in the, in the word tonight. We're going to look here in Revelations 3 and 17. It says, Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, 
and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. In other words, he lays out a pretty bad situation for the church. He gives them an indictment saying that, that you're blind, you're miserable, you're wretched, you're poor, you're naked. But then he comes and says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with thy salve that thou mayest see. And he follows this up and he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. So, so as children of God, we should not be upset when the word rebukes us or the word chastens us. It, it shows that there's a love from him. It shows that we're his children. Okay. And he sits there and in verse 17, he, he lays out the condition of the church. But in verse 18, he says, there's a remedy for these things. You don't have to stay in this condition. I'm offering you everything that you have need of that you don't be found in this condition. And last time that we spoke, we spoke on the fulfillment of scripture and we established that no matter what God has spoken, it will come to pass. And when we focused on mainly like on holding on to the promises of God that, that you've held on to for many years, and we, we preached that fulfillment was right at hand. The fulfillment of God's word. He said all things are going to be fulfilled. And it's up to us to just hold on to those things long enough till we can see God move in that situation. And there's many things that we see throughout the Bible. Many promises. Uh, um, many, many events that we want to be a part of. There's many things in the scripture that we want as individuals, as Christians, to be a part of the fulfillment of those things. But it's just as important tonight to recognize that there's things in the scripture spoken of that we don't want any part of their fulfillment. There's things that we have to recognize, and even though it's going to be fulfilled, we have to be willing to say, that's not me. That's not who I am. I'm not going to have a part in that. And for, for example, it's obvious if you read the scripture, there's people that are going to be lost. There's people that's going to fulfill that. There are people that's going to be cast into outer darkness. All right, there's people that are going to hear, depart from me. I never knew you. But those are not scriptures that you have to fulfill tonight. You don't have to fulfill everything in the scripture. There's scripture that says, I will have a church without spot or wrinkle. There's scripture that says you can overcome the evil in this last day. There's scripture that says that to him that overcometh. Will I grant to sit with me? See, there's some church that's going to fulfill Revelation 3.17. But then there's also another group that's going to fulfill Revelation 3 and 21. And tonight I believe I'm looking at a church that wants to do all they can do to, to apply the ISAB of the Word and the ISAB of the Holy Spirit to make sure that they find their part there in Revelation 3 and 21 where he says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Amen. Now Satan never pulls anything over on God. The darkness of this age is not catching God unaware. Uh, the, the false doctrines and, and the false teachers are no surprise to the Lord. And neither did he want them to be a surprise to you. So he comes along in the scripture and he forewarns of these things. And he told us that there would be a great falling away. He told us that there would be false accusers and impersonators. He told us that there would be scoffers. We know that there's going to be a betrayal, and we know because of the condition of the church that there's going to be a great blinding. He has warned us to the things that were coming, just like Brother Tim mentioned on Sunday, and he talked about how when, when Brother Branham uh, preached the rapture message, how much time he spent there in Second Peter showing that scoffers are a part of the coming. And by the way, when Brother Branham preached that sermon in 1965, he was still preaching it as a future event. He was still looking to the coming of the Lord. 
Well, amen. He was. He recognized there was something still to come. Second Peter 3 and 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now, we've read this scripture for years, and yet I don't think we ever thought we'd have to apply this to people who claim to be message believers. And yet here we are. Here we are in that time, and it's not something that should make us scared, and it's not something that should shake us to where we walk away, but it is something that should shake us to make us wake up and realize where we're standing. We're right in the closing moments of time. We're in the very inner circle of those who were there with Jesus. They begin to turn away, and they begin to betray. Don't let it shake you tonight where you fall to the wayside, but may it shake just enough when you see these things that it causes your roots to go down deeper. It causes you to dig a little bit deeper, and you say, I'm not going to be a part of that fulfillment but I'm going to be a part of the fulfillment of those waiting to see the rapture of the church it shouldn't stumble our faith tonight but it should wake us up to where we're at right on the brink of time right on the brink of eternity and we're in a very very dark hour the delay even to us seems to be longer than we ever thought it would be there's scoffers on every hand, and, and, and there's many betraying. But that just tells me Jesus is near. Because in the darkest of hours, that's when Jesus shows up. Tonight, I don't want us to be like those on the road to Emmaus. When they saw the crucifixion, when they saw all, all the terrible things that Jesus went through, when they saw the beating, when they saw the scoffing, when they saw the whippings, and when they saw all these things, it began to make them become disillusioned. It got them very discouraged, and they began to walk the other direction. Now, why did this discourage them? And you'll find the answer in Luke 24 and 21. It says, but we trusted. In other words, we hoped. Our idea was that it had been he which would have redeemed Israel. But see, because it didn't turn out according to how the scholars thought it would, and because it didn't turn out exactly the way they thought it was supposed to turn out, and when the Redeemer comes, he's going to do this, and he's going to do that, then when things went this way, they became disillusioned. They became discouraged, and they began walking the wrong direction, when in all actuality, it had gone exactly how it said it would go throughout the Scriptures. When we first are introduced to them, when we first meet them, they've actually already heard of the resurrection. They've already been told that Jesus has risen from the grave. It's not that they didn't know. They had already heard this, and yet they're walking the wrong direction. They're still down. They're still pouting. They're still in unbelief. It says in verse 22, in Luke 24:22, Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen visions of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of men which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even as the women had said. Not only have they been received this testimony of a mighty miracle, but it's been corroborated by other witnesses. And yet they can't accept it. Obviously, they believed that the, that the testimony of their fellow believers were nothing more than idle tales. And it must be today that, 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 that the people in the message, when they hear the testimonies of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when they hear the testimonies of gifts operating in the church, when they hear the testimonies of the healings and the deliverances and the salvation, and that the pillar of fire still acts the way it always did, they must consider it only idle tales. Otherwise, why are you walking in the wrong direction? Why are you?
you walking away saying you don't have to receive it that way anymore? Why are you walking away saying you just have to believe a doctrine? All you have to do is sit there and receive it by faith and you'll grow into the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you believe the testimonies, if you believe the word, why are you walking in the wrong direction this evening? They say you just got to believe. I believe in believing. But I believe if you believe and you come by the way of the word, it'll lead you to an experience. The pillar of fire did not return to the church so you could accept the doctrine. The pillar of fire has returned to the church to do exactly as it did in the book of Acts. To fill each and every one of the believers that follow the prescription. To come down and do signs and wonders. To come down and defeat the enemy every place it meets him. That's why the pillar of fire is back in the church. Not to sit idly so you can say, I believe a message and I've accepted this doctrine. The pillar of fire is back in the church to give you overcoming power. To give you victory. To give you life. To take you in a rapture. That's why the pillar of fire has come back into the church. He's alive and well tonight in the church, and yet some are walking in the wrong direction. And we got to be fervent, church. We have to be aware. We have to stay prayed up. We have to stay in love because there's a blinding going on in the land. And you can't ever become arrogant and say, it'll never affect me. You can't ever get to the point where you're like, I I I know this message. I know this word. I know exactly what this Bible says. Stay prayed up. Stay read up. Stay in love with Jesus. Keep your relationship fervent so that when these things come, you can recognize the uncertain sound. You can't recognize an uncertain sound if you don't know the sound it's supposed to make in the first place. Stay prayed up. Stay fervent. But remember, all these things are foretold in the Scriptures. Nothing is out of order. And the the Word tells us that there's a falling away. The Word tells us there will be a Janus and Jambres. The word tells us there'll be scoffers during the delay and, and, and people that'll have itching ears. And for years, we place these things out amongst the denominations. And yet it's time that we have to wake up and realize that deception is not from without. That deception is from within. Remember, remember Matthew 24, 24. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible... They shall deceive the very elect. 25, behold, I have told you before. In other words, I have forewarned you. Tonight we're going to speak on, uh, on in the midst of blindness because that's where we find ourselves tonight. We're, we're in the midst of the blinding of the age. And he says it's going to be so close that it would deceive the the very elect. And he says, I have forewarned you of these things. And I don't want him when he returns to say, oh, fools and slow of heart, the way he said to those on the road to Emmaus, oh, fools and slow of heart, didn't I forewarn you these things were going to be? Why did it shake you? Why did you become disillusioned when you saw these things? Why did you get down and begin to walk the other ways? Didn't I forewarn you? Wasn't it all through the scriptures? Didn't I tell you these things were to come? Notice he doesn't even rebuke them for not believing the testimony of the other believers. He doesn't even say, well, they told you. That's not what he says at all. He says right here, he rebukes them for the reason that they don't believe their testimony. He says, because they didn't recognize it foretold in the scriptures. Verse 25, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Look, if they had put the scriptures in their proper place 
And if they had given them the, 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 the attention that they deserved, and if they had believed them the way that they were supposed to, then they would have been absolutely sure that Jesus was going to resurrect on the third day, with or without the testimony of their believing friends. They would have already known this is exactly what's going to happen to him. As a matter of fact, the torture and the cruel beatings and the crucifixion would not have in any way discouraged them or made them believe that that wasn't the Messiah. It would have been a proof that that is the Messiah. And today when we see the attacks and we see the scoffers and we see the falling away, it shouldn't make you wonder, is this the right message? But it's a proof that this is the message. It's a proof that this is the end time message to get an end time people ready for an end time rapture, a physical return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did he not forewarn us these things were to be? That there'd be scoffers and false doctrines and even disciples that begin to walk away. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? Crucified once again in our day? Men taking scriptures and, and applying what they think it means. Men taking quotes and making them to say things that the prophet never said. None of this refutes what we believe this message to be. It vindicates exactly what we know it is to be, who it is to be. For it's the exact same thing that was done to our Lord and Savior. We still believe in this church in the physical return of the Lord Jesus. If that makes me old school, if that makes me old-fashioned, whatever that makes me be, I'll take it. And I'll stand with what the prophet said. The prophet said there is a heaven and there is a literal Jesus Christ there that will come in a body form to receive his church to himself. No matter how old the story seems, it's still the truth. God said so. That's what believers believe. There will be a physical return of the Lord Jesus Christ to catch his waiting bride away. And he's coming to those that are looking for him in this last day. The time of Jesus is a perfect parallel to this time because it was a blinding time. The Jews had to be blinded so that the gospel could turn to the Gentiles. And, and the gospel is not always going to tarry with the Gentiles, but it must turn once again back to the Jews. And with the turning comes a blinding. And at the same time comes a crucifixion. And that shows us the time that we're standing in. And, and there were those that were called out in that time that escaped what I would call the general blinding of the age and accepted that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And they begin to walk in, in, this, in what the history books would call this new religion. And they begin to walk in revelation. They begin to walk in the doctrines of Jesus Christ that he had taught. And so they had escaped the blinding of the age that wouldn't allow them to see that he was the son of God. But Satan just didn't go, okay, well, I've lost. He began to deal with them in a different way. He began to try to blind them in a different way with fancy doctrines. He begins to blind them with false teachings. He begins to blind them with, 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 with the, the commandments of men and with traditions and enticing words and teachers that were came, the scripture said, to draw disciples unto themselves. So these weren't people coming denying that Jesus was the Christ, but they were coming and trying to draw disciples unto themselves or changing doctrines and teaching things just a little bit wrong. And that's how the serpent likes to operate. He doesn't come and flat out deny, but he changes just one word here, and he changes one word there. And pretty soon the revivals die down, and the gospel isn't pure anymore. We can't let them change one word of the gospel. This message was delivered exactly the way God intended it to be delivered. I'm going to believe it exactly the way it was delivered. It's not going to be so obvious like a complete denial that you may see in the denominational world, but, it, but it's going to be very subtle. 
It's going to be based on quotes. It's going to be based on scriptures with a message interpretation. It's going to be so close. 2 Timothy 3, 7, we already read this, but it says, Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. This is key. The truth. The. There is but one truth. It's the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. There isn't but one faith. There are not many faiths. There's not, I, I, I believe it. No, there's the faith. And Janus and Jambres is going to come to withstand this. Notice where Brother Branham places this. Anointed ones at the end time, 19 and 65. O Capernaum, thou who callest by the name of the angels. See what's happening? She's going right to the bottom of the sea. When? I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going. You young people, if I don't see it in my day, you watch. She is gone, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, here is the shocking. Here is the shocking part. Listen to this. Wait, Los Angeles is going to sink under the ocean. Never mind that. Here's the shocking part. Pay attention to what he calls the shocking part. Listen to this. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith that was once delivered to the saints. He says, of course. Now, listen where he places it. Concerning the faith. And he shall turn the faith of the father or the children back to the fathers. Uh, he says. These are people that resist the turning of the faith of the children back to the fathers. That's where he places this scripture. Janus and Jambres, those that are doing the part or, or fulfilling the part of Janus and Jambres, do not want your heart turned back to the faith of the Pentecostal fathers. Listen to what he goes on and says. Malachi 4's job is to turn the hearts back to the faith of the fathers. And then the message of John in the last days, or the message of Elijah, the spirit that will be in the church, will be take the hearts of the people that's falling away from the Pentecostal fathers and turn their hearts back to the original message of Pentecost again. As it started, the messenger of the covenant, the seventh star of the day, we're living in that day. But watch the next time John appears. He turns the hearts of the children back to the faith of the Pentecostal fathers. So it'd be back to the original message. And you'll know, you'll know when it gets here, it'll be a restoration to send that lukewarm Laodicean church back to that original faith back yonder again. Yes, sir, and he will be anointed to do so. So if you're sitting in a lukewarm church, then your heart has not been turned back to the faith of the Pentecostal fathers. It may have been turned back to doctrine. It may have been turned back to, to I believe this creed and I believe this, but it has not been turned back to the faith. It has not been caught by the reason Malachi 4 was sent. He once again says, there'll be a prophet rise in the last days, Malachi 4, giving the sign of the days of Lot and so forth. Also prophesying for the people to return back, turn back to the faith of the first Pentecostal fathers, turn back to the original, turn back to the Bible, get away from the organization and denomination, go back to the first, go back to the original Pentecost, to the original filling of the Holy Ghost, to the original power of God. The word testifies that that's what will happen. So so if you're in a situation to where where you're at is against the return back to Pentecost, 
then you're fulfilling the works of Janice and Jambres. Anything that's against the return back to the original Pentecost, to the original faith, to the book of Acts church is fulfilling Janice and Jambres in this last day. If it doesn't line up with the return to Pentecost, then they're hindering you from the freedom. They're hindering you from the exodus. Brother Branham says, yes, sir, that's all right. All those things, you have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. When I say, what do you think about divine healing? Now, listen to this. Praise the Lord, praising the Lord, shouting all the miracles and signs and gifts back in the church. Oh, that was for another age. We've moved out of that age. That was for another age. Just exactly what the Holy Ghost said would take place. The Holy Ghost said now they'll have a form of godliness but will deny the power thereof. He said from such turn away for this is just like Janus and Jambres that withstood Moses. The Bible said the two parts would be so close it will deceive the very elect. Did you realize if it was taught that as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these men reprobate concerning the faith. How that they would try to withstand the spirit of God in the last days. We're living in that day now, he says. Janice and Jambres, what was their purpose? They're in the Old Testament right before the Exodus. What was it that they were doing? What were they trying to resist? They were resisting freedom for the children of God. They were resisting freedom to worship. They were resisting a physical exodus. To a physical promised land. That's what their whole purpose was. And how did they do it? What did Janice and Jambres do to keep them, the people from believing? They cheapened the power of God by imitating it. They cheapened the power of God by imitating it. And they began to make the people doubt that this was the power that could deliver them. If they can do this and look at them, then how is this the power that can deliver us? And it placed a seed of doubt in the very power that came to take them to the promised land. But in this day, what does Janice and Jambres do? They don't point to the power of God. They point to the imitation. They point to the Pentecost denominational. They point to the imitation of the power of God. And they use that as a knock on the power of God and on the moving of the spirit. They resist the freedom to go back to the original by pointing to the imitation. They, they, they resist the moving of the spirit by calling it simply emotion. They, they resist it. They, they point to the imitation and they say, Pentecost failed with all that emotion. And, and, and so they call the moving of the spirit simply emotionalism or that's just Pentecostal. And when the spirit begins to move, they point to the imitation and they, and they try to put you down. They say, well, you're just Pentecostal. Yes, I am Pentecostal, original Pentecostal, because my heart has been turned, and I can recognize the difference between an imitation and the real thing. I like to believe that if I stood there that day in Pharaoh's court, I could have recognized the difference in an imitation and in the real thing. And they sit there, and they point to the imitation. They point to the imitation. I say, get your eyes off the imitation. Look at the book of Acts. There is a real power. There is a real Holy Ghost. There is a real pillar of fire, and it's the power to Take us in a rapture. There is a real. That's what I'm focused on tonight. They put up a scarecrow to try to keep you from going back to the original. By pointing to all the failures along the way. 
They try to withstand the spirit of God in the last days. Blindness all around us. The age is getting darker and darker. Many falling away. Don't be shaken. What must we do? Revelation 3, 18. Anoint thine eyes with eyesaph that thou mayest see. Look, God was not caught off guard by the false teaching. Not caught off guard by the darkness of the age. And so he provided a way for you to see. Thank you, Lord. Brother Bram says that's the way it is with God. He's got some holy oil of the Holy Spirit. And he can rub on your eyes as I sat. And you'll see things that you never saw before. New light will break through. He says the ISAV is the Holy Spirit. He does say in one place you'll find where he says that the ISAV is the preaching of the word. But he instantly follows that up and says, but Paul came with, the, with manifestations of the Holy Ghost, not enticing words of man's wisdom, because your word without the Holy Spirit will never open your spiritual eyes. Okay? It, it, word without the Holy Spirit only gives you knowledge. Word without the anointing of the Holy Spirit gives you knowledge. And that's why in this church and in many churches around this message, we welcome the moving of the Holy Spirit. That's why we believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in every service. We must have the Holy Spirit in every service. All right, we must anoint our eyes and continue to anoint our eyes, daily anoint our eyes. Lord, I need more of you today. I want to know you more today. I want to grow in you more today because the blindness is sweeping the land. But that's why we see an attack within the message on the moving of the Spirit. When you forbid the moving of the Spirit, you're hindering the one thing that can remove the blindness of the age. Somehow men have twisted things up to where they believe that focusing on the Word is to deny the moving of the Spirit. Listen, listen Pentecost didn't fail because they accepted the gifts and because they accepted the moving of the Spirit. They failed because they accepted those things and rejected the word. Okay, that's where they failed. Not because they believed in the spirit. Not because they accepted tongues and they accepted gifts. It's because that they accepted those things and rejected the word of God. Okay, but others just go into another ditch and they say, well, here we focus on the word. And they want to say they reject all of that. Well, I contend that you cannot focus on the word without recognizing that the gifts are in the word, that the tongues are in the word, that the prophecy is in the word, that the healing's in the word, that Holy Ghost worship's in the word. If you can't see that those things are in the word, I say that you have been affected by the blinding of the age. If you focus on the word, then you will see that those things are to be in the church. Those things are to be here for our benefit until the very end of time. There's not a place where he goes, Whoo, from now on you have no gifts. From now on there is no moving of the spirit. From now on there is no blood. I need the moving of the spirit. I need the blood. I need all of it till the day I'm raptured from here. And I will hold to it that it's still here and it's still moving and it's still working. I see the effects of it in lies after lies after lies. I see the blood still forgiving people. I see the stripes still healing people. I see the Holy Spirit still filling people. I see a church on fire for the living God. Don't tell me it's not raining in my field just because you got a drought in your field. It's raining here at Evening Light Tabernacle. And it's going to continue to rain because we expect it. People just trade ditches from one side of the road to the other and never can find a balance. They never can find a balance. 
Look, even in the Old Testament, you see when the word returns, what's David do? Praise God. I believe that's the word of God. Now David begins to dance. David begins to rejoice. David begins to shout. He begins to worship because the word has been restored. And the word's been restored in this day, and it didn't make me cold and formal. The word was restored in this day, and it makes me want to shout. It makes me want to run about this place and give glory to God. But somebody sitting up in the window, Saul's daughter, sits there, and he begins, she begins to criticize. Oh, that ain't necessary. That Pentecostalism. Look at all that emotion. They're just working people up in the song service. Prayer lines. Why do we need prayer lines? And she begins to criticize. And she begins to sit there and mock the very spirit of God moving on the life of David. And because of it, she's cursed and she's barren. And today churches will sit there and do the same thing. Be careful. Be careful because you may have a church full of people. You may have the pews full of people, but you're barren and there's no life there. And you got a nest full of rotten eggs. Because you haven't accepted the moving of the Spirit. Without the moving of the Spirit, there is no life. There must be the moving of the Holy Spirit. Any, any doctrine or any man that would quench the moving of the Holy Spirit, that is antichrist. Anything that would make the church different from what we see in the book of Acts is false. And it is not the bride's message. It's Janus and Jambres warring against the faith. Listen, we've come back to Paul's gospel. We've come back to the book of Acts, back to wheat again. Brother Branham says, Thus Satan knows assuredly that the original church at Pentecost with the power of God, Mark 16 in action, is the true church that Jesus claims as his own. All else is false. It has to be. Listen, I don't care if it's called Methodist or Message. All else is false. I don't care what name you give it. All else is false. Listen, it's not just doctrine. It's power in demonstration. The ISAV today is scoffed at. It's made fun of. It's ridiculed. But somebody's going to accept the ISAV. Somebody's going to accept the moving of the Spirit. Somebody's going to accept it. And they're just going to rub it all in their face and all over where they can. And each and every day they're going to get a little more and a little more. And they're going to keep their eyes bathed in it because they recognize there's a blindness. And I'm not going to have him on that day come to me and say, fools and slow a heart. I put it all through the Word. How did you not recognize? But I'm going to keep the ISAB, the Holy Spirit applied every single day. Lord, I need you today. I need your ISAB today. I need to see today. It's getting dark, Lord. But in the evening time, it shall be light. There is an ISAB for you tonight. Doctrine alone is never going to produce a rapture. Doctrine didn't take the children of Israel out of Egypt. It was the power of God that came with the message. That took the children of Israel out of Egypt. It must be spirit and truth. It's very plain in the scripture. An emphasis on teaching with no moving of the spirit is not true Holy Ghost filled teaching. It's nothing but intellectualism. I'm not sure at what point we replaced true Holy Ghost filled teaching with signs and wonders following because it's part of the same ministry as the others. When did we replace that with an intellectual speech? And call it teaching. It's not Holy Ghost teaching. It's just a quest for knowledge. It's a lust for knowledge. To know more right here in your head. 
Listen, the, the serpent taught Eve the imparting of knowledge. All right? We're not against teaching. We find its place in the word. I love teaching that's anointed with the spirit with signs following. I love that kind of teaching. I love it when a teacher can stand there and just feel the Holy Spirit settle in and begin to teach and break the bread and just break it out so clear and you feel the sweetness of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you can come up in a service like that and be delivered in a church service like that just as quick as you can uh, an evangelist church service that, that, that preaches the roof down because it's, from, it's one of the gifts of God. But it's not an intellectualism. Teaching inspired by the Holy Ghost will produce the same signs and wonders as any other type of preaching. It's not dry. It's not intellectual. It's inspired. But intellectual men will fall into the same trap that Eve fell into. A thirst for knowledge. Listen, yes, I want to know him too. But I want to know him by revelation. I want to know him by, 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 not only by revelation, but I want to know him through relationship. I want to know him as my Lord and Savior. I want to know him because I commune with him. I want to know him because he reveals himself to me. Not because I just learn and learn and learn, but I'm never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. A thirst for knowledge many times will lead men on a quest for superior revelations. To where that, to, to where that you have to, to look to them because they're more revelated, they're more enlightened, and then you will be as God's. It's the same thing that, serpent, that the serpent told Eve. And the thing is, Eve was already like a god. She didn't recognize what she had. She didn't recognize the position she held. She wasn't sufficiently impressed with what the Lord had done for her and the position that he had placed her in. And I wonder tonight if people aren't sufficiently impressed with the message of the hour and the place that it has put us in this last day as the bride of Jesus Christ. To where we got to look for more and some superior revelation so we can lord over others and and, and be as gods and, and tell them you must come here and you can't do that. And begin to try to legislate righteousness as though you're one of the Nicolaitans legislating to the people what they can and can do and drawing the Holy Spirit away from them. Many today fall for the same thing, wanting to declare their godship and trying to wield powers that do not belong to them and never will belong to them. There is but one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. You have no right to claim that position. If you can claim that position, then why did my Lord and Savior have to come and die? His dying is not in vain. Any doctrine that will add to the authority of the church while stripping it away from God is nothing more than antichrist, nothing more than Catholicism. Jude 1 and 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares. In other words, this ain't out there. They crept in. These doctrines have crept in. These doctrines are amongst you. But did he not forewarn us? He didn't let these things catch us off guard. Listen, this is not out there. This is the inner circle. This is doctrines based on quotes. These are those that would be called brother. Judas was called brother. But there was something that that separated or made a difference between the rest of them and Judas. See, Judas believed that you could receive the new birth just by confession of faith. Judas believed that that you could just accept the doctrine, and that was it. See, he couldn't go to Pentecost. He couldn't go on to get that further experience. Judas is going to say, why all the emotion? Why all the jumping and shouting? Why all that worship? Why those songs? I don't like the way they play the instruments there. 
I don't like this. I don't like that. Why can't you just sit there and be pious like the rest of us and say, I believe. Why can't you just be that way? That's Judas's attitude. Why are you so excited? Why must you act that way? Well, because this is exactly how they acted in the book of Acts, and this is that. Why would I want to act any different? Why would I want to do anything any different from the way they did? When it falls on me, it's going to make me act the same way it did when it fell on them because it's not an imitation. It's the real thing. You know, Pentecost has a way of causing people to show their true colors. A lot of people don't want to return to Pentecost. Well, neither did Judas. Brother Branham would say, here's the false vine. Here's the true vine. And they're both growing side by side. Did you realize that Judas Iscariot was treasurer of the church out of the same tribe of the Lord Jesus? He was a big man, brothers with the rest of them. Sat in the same pew, sang the same songs, worshiped the same God, preached the same gospel, and was Judas. Do you realize that same spirit moves right up through the church? But where Judas showed his true colors was at Pentecost. Just before Pentecost, before they really got born again. He says, and when you go to talking about being born again, receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, nine times out of every ten, them spirits will show their colors, what they are. They'll say, that's a bunch of fanaticism. Leave it away. Brother, it's God's provided way for man today. Hallelujah, he says. Listen, you must have that Pentecostal experience even today. And that's why the devil comes and wars against it so much. That's why he wars against the atmosphere that we want to set in the church. That's why he wars against the moving of the Spirit. That's why he wars against the gifts being operated in the church again. Because without the moving of the Spirit, there is no book of Acts. If the Holy Ghost did not fall in the upper room, there would be no book of Acts that followed. It was the book of, it was the experience in the upper room that allowed the book of Acts to be written. And if we claim that we're going to be a book of Acts church, then we have to have that same experience with signs following that they experienced right there in the upper room. We're not on a quest for knowledge. We're on a quest for life. We're on a quest to be changed, a quest to be filled with the Spirit, a quest to, to repent when we see need to repent. We should never strive to impart knowledge in this church, but to impart life to those in need of it. And this message returns us to Pentecost, to the true outpouring of the Spirit, not just gifts, but the same fullness of the Spirit that the 120 received that day in the upper room. So it's no wonder that we've seen the same efforts by the enemy to stop it. He recognized what it did to his kingdom the first time. And so here he is coming around trying to use some of the same tactics he used in Ephesus to get us to become lukewarm, to get us to move away from our first love. When we see the attempt to bind the moving of the Spirit, actually what you're seeing is Nicolaitanism attacking the true vine once again. Brother Branham says, you notice it started a deeds of the Nicolaitans. After a while, it become a doctrine. Well, what is it? They've taken all the spirit away from the congregation. It made bishops, overseers, popes, put it all in the pulpit, and the pulpit got intellectual. There you go, a hybrid church again. See, under, under intellectuals, God send us back to the Holy Ghost amongst the people. Now remember, each church has its formals, and each church has its spirituals. That's the twins. Each church has its formals. Each church has its spirituals. That's the twins, he says. 
that's best of twins that's born in every revival and lives in every church. They started right in this age and ends up in this age. And finally, the formals took it over in the Thyatira age, and Luther pulled it back out again. And now it's swinging right back in it again. Can you see that formal religion? There's no difference between that and Catholicism. It's the same thing, he says. No, we believe the message. There's no difference between formal religion and Catholicism. It's the same thing, he says. The true vine will always hate and cry out against the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The true vine is not going to sit back and allow that spirit to come in and rob the, the spirit of God and the moving of the spirit off of the people. That spirit comes in and says, we don't need prayer lines. Comes in and says, we don't need altars. I pray at evening like Tabernacle, our, our altars are never dry. I pray we never see an extended period of time where there aren't people weeping their way to Calvary, seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I pray there's never a time where you feel like that you can't come up here. These altars are always open for people to come and pour their heart out and die out to sin to where it's dead as midnight and experience a real and living birth. That's what our purpose is. If we lose that, then we've lost our purpose. It's to get men and women to Jesus Christ from whatever means necessary. May it never be that we find our, our altars not stained with the tears of people. May we, may we never come to the point where we settle for a dead church, for a dead religion, for a formal religion. I don't believe we're going to accept blindness here. The zeal of the hour is to repent. I believe that we should always give the opportunity to people to come to the altar and repent. And the prophet of God believed the exact same thing. All the way up to the time that he left us. I'm going to read a, a couple of quotes here and some of them are lengthy. But I want you to listen for those people who believe that, that he was against altar calls. And for those people that believe we shouldn't have an altar and that those things are just traditions. I want you to listen to these things. He says, I believe God is going to do some great things tomorrow. I'm hoping he is. That's the reason I make altar calls. Do everything I can to find favor with him. Invisible Union, 1965. Here we are just right before he's going to go off the scene. Would some here that hasn't been saved not even given your heart to God? Don't you think you ought to be thankful for what Jesus did for you? To think that you are a sinner, that you're an alien from God, and yet something at your heart knocking, you are miserable and will be miserable till you, till you surrender to it. Now listen to him make a pull. He doesn't just make an altar call. and He pulls and he pulls and he pulls. Why not make this one of the greatest thanksgivings you ever had? When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, will you come up here and stand at the altar? I'll pray with you if you'll come. Any sinner, man or woman, boy or girl, church member or not church member. Church member doesn't make you a Christian. The altar is open. Will you come? Any sinner that would want to come receive the Lord Jesus. You really want to know what the real baptism of the Holy Ghost is? Come find out. The altar is open. We're ready. Just come right on up. Come out of your seat. Come right on up and kneel down here at the altar. This brother that's just come up, oh, Thanksgiving. Oh, God, I'm so thankful to you that all my life I've known there's been something. Lord, I've never been satisfied. I've tried. I thought next year I'll do it. The next week I'll do it. Next time I hear an altar call, I will. Someday, but I put it off. But, Lord, I know there's something wrong with me. And now, Lord, tonight, I'm thankful for a preparation that's been made by the Son of God that my sins actually 
actually my unbelief would be washed away from me. I'm coming tonight, and I'm going to kneel down to accept the great Thanksgiving blessing that Jesus Christ did for me when he died for me at Calvary. Will you come? Now there's people kneeling around the altar here. Why don't you get up and come? You wanted to. You've tried it. Just think. Now, now they say, you know, well, you're not supposed to try to pull up their emotions and try to scare people. I'm not saying that's what Brother Branham's doing, but listen to what he does. Just think of Brother Lyle Palmer, our good, precious brother. He was sitting in the yard looking at his little girl playing croquet out there or something, and he pitched over in the chair and was dead before he could even make a move. You don't know what time you're going to leave here. You just don't know what time you're going to go. It may be yet tonight. So why don't you come settle it now? I, I think he was okay with altar calls. Come on, people. Can't you feel something tugging at you? I know there's many of you here that should be right here at the altar, and there's just six or seven people here. That's not all that's sitting in here. One day my voice will be stilled. You won't hear it no more. You might wish you would have come. You say, but Brother Branham, I've been a church member. That don't make any difference what you've been. So had Nicodemus been a church member. So had John, Peter, James, Paul, all the rest of them. Paul was a church member until something happened one night. And one day it was he come and he was changed. Church, he was a changed church member then to a son of God. Won't you come? Oh, he, he was trained. He was intellectual. He knowed he was trained. One of the greatest trained schools there was, Gamaliel. One of the finest teachers there was in the land. But he knowed he needed something. Won't you come? Once more, I ask you. Here and around the nation, I ask you, wherever you are, in what assembly you are, at this Thanksgiving hour, remember I'm being taped here, not only here, but in heaven. I'm just going to wait because there's many, many around the altar now, see. Maybe one of them if I had held just a little longer. There might be another one out there. Pastor, wherever you are, don't give up the altar call. But somewhere we get, Brother Brandon was against altar calls. Leadership, 1965. I believe this is the next to last sermon he preaches. The old-fashioned altar calls, they're out of style today, but God still moves in them. Can't you feel it moving on you, church? But somewhere we get the authority to say we don't need them anymore. We shouldn't have them anymore. And even if we don't say it, our actions show because we never offer them. We never offer an altar call. We never give the invitation. We never offer for people to even come up and be prayed for at the end of a meeting. And so we may not say we're against these things, but our actions show where we stand. And it's Nicolaitans nibbling away at the moving of the Spirit. Trying to rob people of a true Pentecostal experience. Trying to convince people just to believe and you'll grow into the Holy Ghost. Listen, the enemy, what he does is he begins to start changing people's expectations. For what the new birth really is. What the new birth will really do. How the new birth will really make you act. And soon you have a whole generation of people that don't know what the power of God is. Acts 20 and 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. The wolves became the Nicolaitans. Making formal and denying that the Holy Ghost would do the same things or act in the same way. Changing expectations. Look, the nominal churches have done this for years. Changing what it means to be born again. Changing the fact that, you know, to, to where your expectations get to be where I'm going to sin a little. I'm going to have a little sin in my life. I, I, well, not every, we're not perfect. We're just sinners. And they change the expectation or the meaning of being born again. 
to where you got to the point where you can have the same nature and you're still going to heaven. Listen, our, our expectations are vital to what we're able to receive. Okay? L- listen to the message expectations. We're taught that your expectations are vital to what you're able to receive. And, and he wants us to change our expectations even in a service like tonight. He wants you to come thinking it's just going to be another church service. He wants you to come thinking we don't have to put everything in it. There, nothing's going to happen. We're just going to sing a few songs. There's going to be a sermon preached. He wants to make it dead and formal. And then he wants to call anything that has life in it Pentecostal. Okay? The very thing that we were supposed to be turned to has now somehow become a dirty word. To where, oh, well, that's Pentecostal. Yeah, it should be. That's exactly what it should be, original Pentecost, with the original power, with the original moving of the word. I pray we'll never stand by and let that become a dirty word in this church. But may it be a compliment that I'm just like those that were on the day of Pentecost. I'm just like those that was in the upper room. And I'm not going to just be that way in here. But the power that was given to me, I'm going to be that way out there. And I'm going to overcome the enemy with that power. I'm going to tear down Satan's kingdom with that power. Devils are going to be tormented by me with that power. He wants to change our expectations of the new birth, make it a confession of faith, make it accepting a doctrine. But we want real new births to happen where sin is killed dead as midnight. Brother Branham talking about the new birth. He says, that's why people today reject the new birth. They've got what they call the new birth. I went up, shook hands with the pastor, but that's not a new birth. The reason they won't accept it, that's why they go join churches because they can come in some intellectual way. God said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. No matter how intellectual you may be, how good a Christian you claim to be, you got to be born again. What is a birth? If a birth happens on a straw tick or happens on the floor in a hospital room, it's a mess any way you take it. That's right, and so is the new birth. It's a mess any way you take it, but it produces life. I don't care where you go. You might get up, your face all full of tears, your eyes red, your hands raw from beating on the altar, but it's a birth. It does something to you. It makes you a servant. It takes the starch out of you. So how are you going to cooperate or or correlate two things, being starchy and being born again, when the prophet said it takes the starch out of you? 1964, the trouble of it today is they put their name on the book and join church. That's all there is to it. But God's provided way is to stay there and work your way through until God gives you the new birth. That's what the matter today with people, a new birth, they dodge it. They don't like it. Oh, they have substituted something for the new birth. Come up and believe, and that's all you have to do. (gasps) That's all you have to do. The devil believes, and you know he's not born again. Oh, boy. There is a new birth. There's something that goes with it. It's kind of unfitting and untasting to the world because a birth is a mess. I don't care where it's at. If it's in a pig pen or a hospital, it's a mess. So is the new birth. It'll make you do things you didn't think you'd do. It'll make you get down at the altar, cry, scream, wash the pain off your face, raise your hands, praise God, speak in tongues, and all kinds of things. The new birth will do that because it's God's provided way. I will not stand by and let you substitute intellectualism for that right there because it's God's provided way. He said the new birth will make you do things you wouldn't normally do. I believe. Ooh, did you see that? I don't think that's what he's talking about. 
He said, you'll speak in tongues, you'll shout, you'll cry, you won't care who's around you because it's just you and God and there's a birth taking place. But it says it produces life. And that's all that matters. That's what we want in this church. We will stand up against those doctrines that strip out everything and make us cold and formal. We want life in this church. We want our young people to have an opportunity at life. He has a provided way. Problem is, we've been trying to read between the lines so much to where we end up saying things the prophet never said. To imply the right or the need to say things that the prophet didn't say is to imply that he didn't do his job and that he needs our help. Well, since I accept that William Branham was the fulfillment of Malachi 4 and the fulfillment of Revelation 10:7, I also accept that he said what needed to be said. And that's where I stand on that. If I accept he was Malachi 4, I accept he was Revelation 10, 7, then I don't think he did a halfway job. I accept that he said what needed to be said. He gave us what we needed for a rapture. I'm going to take it, and I'm going to expect to see it. I'm going to expect to see it fulfilled. I'm going to live by it. I'm going to feed on it. I'm going to apply the ISAF until one day I'm going home, and I'm going to go home with the power that was delivered in the message of the hour by the prophet of Malachi 4. Hallelujah. He says in every age we have exactly the same pattern. That's why the light comes through some God-given messenger in a certain area. And then from that messenger, there spreads the light through the ministry of others who have been faithfully taught. But of course, all those who go out don't always learn how necessary it is to speak only what the messenger has spoken. Remember, Paul warned the people to say only what he said. 1 Corinthians 14, 37, if a man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. What? Came the word of God out from you or came it unto you only? They add here or take away there and as soon the message is no longer pure and the revival dies down. Oh, how important it is to hear the voice of God by the way of his messengers and then say what has been given them to say to the churches. Even the visions that God gives here at the place, it's so misunderstood. That's the reason you hear me on the tape say, say what the tapes say, say what the visions say. And yet somehow or another, you have a license to say, well, we can say things that the prophet didn't say. Are, are you reading or hearing the same message that I'm, that I'm listening to? He was very clear. That's, that's just a couple of quotes. There's many of them. All it is is a spirit of Catholicism. That says that the church can say what the church wants to say. That the church can speak where the church sees fit. That's nothing new. The Catholics cornered that a long time ago. You might as well just put your name on the book there if that's the road you want to go down. Spirit of Catholicism says we can speak for him. Says we're the mercy seat. We can speak what the messenger didn't speak. Listen, the message that came and said that God needs no interpreter now we're trying to interpret. Let, let that sink in for a minute. The message that said God needs no interpreter, we're trying to interpret. And they like to say, well, the bride has thus saith the Lord and she knows what's done. Well, listen, having thus saith the Lord doesn't mean you get to go around and say whatever you want to say and thus saith the Lord's going to back you up. Having thus saith the Lord means there was a message given to you vindicated by thus saith the Lord. And as his bride, you have the rights to use it. In the way it was given to you. That's 
how you have thus saith the Lord. You can stand on every promise because it was vindicated by thus saith the Lord and say, this is mine and I have the right to use it. I have thus saith the Lord. I know what he wants done with it and what he wants done with it is for me to leave it alone, quit changing it and use it the way it was intended to be used to tear Satan's kingdom down, to unify the bride so that we can be ready to go in a rapture and quit tearing down this one and building up this kingdom and tearing at this one and drawing disciples unto yourself. That's not what he wants done with it. So he starts by changing the expectations in our daily Christian life. What power we have to live above sin and what the new birth is and how our services are to be. And, and then once the church becomes cold and formal, not used to seeing the power of God move, the next step is to spiritualize the fulfillment of all the promises. Because, I mean, they're not, see, they're not used to seeing the power of God move anyway. So by what power are they expected to rapture? I mean, they hadn't seen somebody's life changed in years. They haven't seen the healing take place. They don't believe in the, but But you expect them to believe that, that they're going to go in a rapture. They can't do it. Because the power's been stripped from the people. The movement of the Spirit's been stripped from the people. What power is going to bring these promises to pass? You saw how Janice and Jambres attempted to do the same thing and and you think going back to that, 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 what they do is they point and they say, you think going back to, to what Janice and Jambres did is going to cause a rapture? You think going back to Pentecost? I mean, they fail. You think that's going to cause a rapture? And they put that scarecrow up around you. And he's trying to change your expectations. But wrong expectations have never stopped one of God's prophecies from coming to pass. But they stop you from being a part of it. You having a wrong expectation for the rapture and for the catching away is not going to stop him from coming from the church, but it's going to stop you from being a part of it because you're not looking for it. You're not expecting it. And that's what the enemy's trying to do. It, it causes you to miss out. 2 Timothy 2.16, it says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrew the faith of some. What, what are they preaching? That the resurrection has passed. It's a true event misplaced. Okay? And, and in true, there had already been a resurrection of Old Testament saints. Uh, there had been a spiritual resurrection up from, uh, up from um, the traditions and into the gospel of Jesus. But in no way did that do away with the resurrection that was promised. Okay, there had been a spiritual resurrection. They're trying to say, hey, look, it was all spiritual. We've all been resurrected up from, from the tombs of dark denominationalism and we're the bride and we've accepted it all and that's what it meant. We've come into the new gospel of Jesus. We've resurrected from, from the old traditions. So there is no physical resurrection. It's all past. Brother Brown says, now you must not misinterpret the word. You say, well, I believe it means this. It means just what it says. It needs no interpreter, and you must not misplace the word. And you must not dislocate the word. And if we would do either of these, it throws the whole Bible in a confusion and in a chaos. Look, they were infected with the blinding that Satan had begun to weave through the church. And the problem with an infection of one is it soon turns into the infection of many. As their doctrine goes here and infects, and it goes here and infects, and it spreads over the internet and infects, and it spreads from this one, this one, this one, this one. You see how subtle the serpent is? He didn't come and deny the resurrection. 
But he took a true doctrine and he put a corrupt interpretation on it. Saying the resurrection's already passed and what Jesus taught was actually a spiritual resurrection. And if you have accepted it, then you're already resurrected. You're already in the eighth day. You're already there. They're, they're, you know, and, and so they make it to where there's not a physical application of the promise. Look, no one was denying the spiritual resurrection. We believe it. Paul believed it. But that was not to take the place of the literal resurrection. And what it did was it overthrew the faith of some. Because they changed the expectation from a physical resurrection to a spiritual one. And Paul says that their teaching was as a canker. It was like a sore. And it begins to, 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 to infect others. And any doctrine that will overthrow future promises... And place them in the past, whether it be the resurrection, the rapture, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and all of eternity. By making them only something spiritual and not something that's going to manifest physically is a doctrine intended to overthrow the faith of Christians. Any doctrine that takes promises that we're striving for, takes promises that we're living for, and would tell you they've already passed, is intended to overthrow the faith of Christians. That's the intent of it because it takes away what you're fighting for. It makes you feel like you've missed something. It makes you feel like that, that there's nothing worth hanging on for, and it overthrew the faith of some of the Christians, it says. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In other words, there has to be something we're striving for. There has to be a physical. There has to be an event that's coming. There has to be a reason that we're living this life and fighting this life and fighting this battle. There is a goal that we're pressing towards. There is a reward that we're pressing for. There is something that we're going to go to. And it's not fake and it's not spiritual, but it's real. And we're right on the verge of it manifesting and him coming back and a sweep coming across this place and him taking you to the place that he's gone to prepare for you. We have no need tonight to be miserable. The things that he has promised, I can guarantee you, are the truth. In the midst of blindness, the Holy Spirit has provided a way for you to see. Yes, there, there, there has been a word coming of Christ. We do not deny that. And that word coming has now taken on flesh in a bride coming of Christ. I'm so thankful for that. But that in no way does away with the physical return of our Lord Jesus. The word coming produced the bride coming in order to give him someone to come back for. What would even be the point of a bride coming if there was no groom coming to take her to the marriage supper of the Lamb? I'm thankful for the word coming. I'm so grateful to be a part of the bride coming. But I'm standing here tonight proclaiming to you even like Tabernacle there is a literal, physical coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to catch his waiting bride away. That's what we believe here. That's what believers believe. I'll quote it again. There is a heaven and there is a literal Jesus Christ that will come in a body form to receive his church to himself. No matter how old the story seems, it's still the truth. God said so. That's what believers believe. But in the delay, men begin to worry. Men begin to lose faith. And like Sarah, they can't wait for the manifestation of the promise. And so they begin to try to help God out. So they try to manufacture the fulfillment themselves with new doctrines, with super spiritual revelations. And all it does is produce wild seed. Right. 
there are those today whose faith has been shaken. They don't believe that they're going to see the physical return of the Lord Jesus. And unless they apply the ISAB, they won't. Because he's returning for those that are looking for him. He's returning to those that are looking for his coming. And if they don't apply the ISAF, they're not going to see it. What are you expecting tonight? What are you expecting tonight, Evening Light Tabernacle? Where do you find yourself sitting at tonight? If there's any doubt tonight, where do you stand? To those that are wondering tonight, where do you stand? To those that are on their way to Emmaus tonight, I pray that Evening Light Tabernacle be a beacon of light proclaiming that the coming of the Lord is at hand. That Evening Light Tabernacle be a beacon of light saying despite the blindness, despite the darkness, we have applied the ISAV. And we know that these things aren't just events past. Our faith has not been overthrown, but we're holding on to a promise. And every word that he has promised will be fulfilled. That's what I want the testimony of this church to be, is that we're holding on to that promise. There are things we don't want to fulfill, but that is one of the things that we have to fulfill. There has to be a catching away of the church. Otherwise, what's it all about? What's it all for? Was it just pipe dreams and air castles? He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. I don't believe for a minute that was right here, right now. He's providing me a place in eternity. Hold fast tonight to that which thou hast received. There may be others mocking. There may be others making fun. There may be others saying that we're old-fashioned. There's others saying that they're going to be the ones that lead us in. There are others just pointing and mocking and giggling. But tonight, I believe if we listen close, we'll hear the sound of wagon wheels. There was only one that was listening for him. There was only one that really thought he was coming back because she had the promise. She told him, and there has got to be somebody that's going to fulfill the scripture that the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. You can't fulfill that sitting around wondering if he's coming, wondering if it's past. But he gave you a promise. He said he'd come back for you. And I count him to be true. I count him to be faithful. I know he's coming to catch a bride away. Are you listening tonight? Are you listening for the sound of the wagon wheels? Let them laugh. Let them mock. That has to be here. That shouldn't catch you unaware. But somebody's going to stand strong. Somebody's going to stand strong. And when he comes, he's going to sweep her away. He's going to take her away from the mocking. Let them have this world. Let them stay here. That's fine. But he's prepared me a place. He's told me the secret of his coming. And he's told you, all you got to do is apply the ISAD. Rub it in your eyes tonight. There is a bride who hath made herself ready. Oh, but they say this. They say that. They say they're the mercy seat. They say he's already come, so he's not coming. They say, they say, listen, we're not Catholics. I don't care what they say. We're not bound to what any church says. What did he say? What did he say? That's the only thing I care about. Don't fear a church or don't run to a group that says you got to be here or claims you must be with them. Brother Branham says, not called. He said, not called by her name, but called by his name. He would take a people out of the Gentiles, not for her name, but for his name. Would bear his name. Oh, my. What are you afraid of it for then? A Gentile would bear his name, the ram, not her name, the church. Not she, but he. Hallelujah. The royal seed will see it. Can't you see Malachi 4 coming to pass? Restore back to the original faith, the word of God. Surely you people can see that. We won't have to make it any plainer. 
Let that denomination go. Man, get back to the word. And the voice of the last day and the sign of the last day is to swing the people back to the original faith. Malachi 4 said so back to the word. And he was the word, not her. Him, amen, the name of the Lord Jesus, the vindicated word now by the promise, the word that promised, notice, safety lied only in the place of his choosing, in his lamb, and in, and in the name of the lamb. Notice it was a male lamb. He, not a her, not a church, she, but his name, not her name. Where he was going to meet the people was not in her name, but in his name, the lamb. I don't care what she says. He said, I will have a bride without spot or wrinkle. He said, he's coming to catch his waiting bride away. I don't care what they say. He said, and that's all that matters to a Christian whose eyes are on Jesus. What are you saying, Lord? What are you saying? Speak to me, Lord. Lord, reveal yourself to me, Lord. Open your word to me, Lord. What are you saying, Lord? Don't let me be caught up in the blinding of the age. What are you saying tonight, Lord? Reveal yourself to me, Lord. He said he would have a bride. He said I would be changed in a moment, a twinkle in an eye. He said I go to prepare a place for you. Don't be like Sarah. Be a Mary tonight and say, be it unto me, Lord. Be it unto me, Lord. Whenever you choose, however you choose, you said it, I believe it. That settles it. In the midst of blindness, tonight there's a people anointing their eyes with the salve of the Holy Spirit. With the faith of Pentecost restored. By Malachi 4. Look, it's going to take faith to keep believing. It does. It takes faith to keep believing. In the darkness of the age, and people who quit believing quit preparing. They just become church members. And so they quit believing, so they begin to just spiritualize it all away. Why? They lost their faith. They don't believe it can truly be fulfilled. He said, when I return, will I find faith now what a terrible question that he has to ask after all he did in the ministry of malachi 4 to make sure your faith was returned he does all of that and then he has to say but will i find faith after demonstrating himself all those years all those miracles all those times but will i find faith not will there still be people in church not will there be Message churches, will I find faith? Will I still find a people that believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit? Will I still find a people who believe in the atonement? Will I still find people that believe in altar calls and the dying out to sin and that the Holy Spirit will come and change a life? Do I, will I still find people who believe with all their heart that there is a rapture of the church? Will I find that? That's the question he's asking tonight. Will I find faith? I believe that evening like tabernacle, he will find faith. He will find people that are living for the marriage supper, that are living for the rapture, that are living to see that day that he comes and sweeps down and changes your body in a moment, a twinkle of an eye. I'm living for it. I'm believing for it. And I'm holding on to it, and it will be fulfilled. Will I still find people believing? Or has Janice and Jambres altered your expectation? Have we lost the reality of the exodus? Some maybe stood up and said, we don't got to leave Moses. We got the message. We're already in the promised land. We received the message. And if you don't believe that, then you just hadn't crossed over into the promised land. You know, as the guy's whipping them. Oh, we're in the promised land. You, sir, are deceived. 
If you think you're in the promised land and you want to point at me and say, I hadn't crossed over, I feel sorry for you. But some may rise up and go, Moses, we're already in the promised land. We've received the message. That's all we need. Others may have stood up and said, let's just go a little ways. But we have to leave the children behind because there's no mercy for them. Mercy's passed, so we have to leave them behind like Pharaoh said. And we can only, we can go a little ways and, and worship. But there's going to be others like Moses. There's going to be others that rise up and say, no, we will have a physical exodus. We will have a physical rapture. I'm going to take everything. I didn't come down here to negotiate with the enemy. I didn't come to negotiate with Janice and Jamborees. Their little imitation has got, does not have me sidetracked. I came with a commission. And the commission told Pharaoh to let my people go. And once that word was spoken, there was no army. There was no Pharaoh. There was no devil that could keep those people bound as long as they would hold on to it. The deliverer had come. And I'm telling you, in the last day, a word has spoken. And it says, loose them and let them free. The word says there's going to be a rapture. There's not a devil in hell. There's not enough devils in Laodicea. There's not enough Janice and Jamrees, false anointed message preachers that can keep us here. We are going to have the spirit of God moving freely in this congregation, changing lives, filling people with the spirit because there's people here that their body's going to be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Oh, hallelujah. I believe it, church. I believe it tonight. I believe it with all my heart. There is a physical coming of the Lord Jesus. First Thessalonians 4, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore? Comfort one another with these words. This must be fulfilled. And I will not settle. I will not settle for some spiritualization of it. He said, I will be caught up to be with the Lord forever. I will not settle. Revelation 19, 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. This must be fulfilled. And I will not settle. I will not settle for anything less despite the false doctrine, despite the kingdom builders, despite those who fall away, despite the blinding. There is an ISAV available to you tonight. There's an ISAV for anybody listening tonight. You don't have to continue in your blindness. You don't have to continue walking the wrong way. Listen, in the midst of blinding, there are those that overcome. In the midst of blinding, Mary washed his feet. In the midst of the blinding, Bartimaeus received his sight. In the midst of blinding, Lazarus was raised from the dead. In the midst of the blinding, Legion was set free. In the midst of blinding, the Old Testament saints rose and raptured. And in the midst of blinding, those on the road to Emmaus had their eyes open and they turned around and they ran back to where they're supposed to be. God grant it tonight that those walking the wrong direction will have the eye salve applied to their eyes, that personal experience with the Lord where they can turn around and run back to where they're supposed to be, even in the midst of blinding. And I say in Laodicea, in the midst of blinding, one of these mornings, there's going to come a sweep across this place. And that sweep is going to change us in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. 
Nah, it doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter how evil it is. There is a sweet coming that's going to change your mortal body in the midst of the blindness. And you can hold on to that as the truth. He is faithful and he's true and he doesn't lie to his church. He's never failed us once. Don't settle tonight. Don't settle tonight for anything less than everything you've been promised. Don't settle. Pharaoh tried to negotiate, tried to get Moses to settle. Just go a little bit. Just leave your children. Just do this. Do not settle. It's all true. Janice and Jambres and the Nicolaitans are trying to eat away at it. They're trying to eat away at it, but may he not come to us and say, fools and slow of heart. Did I not put it all in the scripture? Did I not put it all in the scripture? Did I not forewarn you? Did I not give you everything you needed to be prepared? Did not our hearts burn within us? As he's talked to us through the years, as he opens up his word to us, as he reveals himself to us, everything that we have need of, there's no reason for us to be deceived. There's no reason for us to be deceived when he freely gives the ISAF. We're in the very midst of the coming of the Lord, church. Now is not the time to waver. Now is not the time to give up. Now is not the time to doubt. Now is not the time to be caught up in fancy doctrines. Hold fast. Hold fast to what you've been given. Someone in the midst of blinding is fulfilling Revelation 3.21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcome. Church, tonight when we see the falling away, when we see the false doctrines, when we see the heresies, when we see things that just turn our stomach, don't be discouraged. We don't like to see those things. We hate to see it, but he forewarned us. It should make you check up and know right where you're at. Where are you standing? It'd be very easy to get discouraged by all we see. Those withstanding the faith, those offering a Cain religion without blood. But he said he would have a church. Sometimes when you feel discouraged, just remember, he said he'd have a church. He said there'd be somebody without spot or wrinkle. He said he would come again to take his waiting bride away. And I love this quote by Brother Branham. When it seems like we can't do it, when it seems like everything's against us, he says, but it gives us consolation to know this, that we do not hold our destiny. God holds our destiny. And he has ordained it to be so. And there's nothing will ever interrupt the program of God. We are bound to arrive. He said, you are bound to arrive. So let them teach what they want. Let them scoff what they want. Let them say what they want. Little bride, he's coming back for you, and you are bound to arrive. There is nothing that can keep you here on this earth. One of these mornings, the gravity of this place is going to lose its hold on me, and I'm going home. You're going with me. We're going in a rapture. We're leaving the scoffers. They can have this world. It's atomic fodder anyway. I'm going to that place that he has prepared for me. And tonight, I say, Lord, a Apply the ISAB in the midst of blinding. Apply the ISAB, Lord. Lord, let me see. Lord, not for the sake of being right. Lord, not for the sake of being right, but Lord, I love you. Lord, apply the ISAB. Can we bow our heads together? In the midst of blindness, there's people that can see. Oh, God. Blessed are our eyes. Blessed are our ears. In the midst of blindness tonight, evening like tabernacle, you can see. Oh, how we should give him praise. How we should thank him from the depths of our heart that we're not wandering around, going the wrong direction. 
that we're not disillusioned, that we haven't given up, that we haven't quit. Oh, thank God tonight that he's held us. Sometimes we think, oh, I've held on alone. No, 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 no. He's holding you. He's holding you tonight. And he's provided everything you have need of to rapture. He's provided everything you have need of to leave this world. Who cares what the scoffer says? Who cares what she says? He said that you would overcome. Tonight, I'm looking to what he said. We got to be more sincere. We got to be fervent. We can't lose our first love. That's what allowed the Nicolaitans to get in the first age. They began to get a little lukewarm. They began to get just a little bit away from their first love. And we got to turn away tonight from vain babblings. We got to turn away from things that offer us knowledge over an experience. We got to stay in tune with the Spirit, stay prayed up. Tonight, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Is there any here tonight that say, Lord Jesus, Lord, just apply the Holy Spirit to my life. Apply the Holy Spirit, the salve to my eyes, Lord. Lord, sometimes I just don't know how I'm going to take another step. I feel so beat down that things are worn against me. But Lord God, tonight I want to look away to you. I want to look to your word. Apply the salve to my life tonight. Lord, draw me close to you tonight, Lord. Let me fall in love with you all over again. Oh, that's my desire, Lord. Let me fall in love with you all over again. Lord God, draw me up close to your side, Lord Jesus. It's where the vain babblings and the things of the world and the other things don't matter anymore. As I just begin to get closer and closer to you and the chirp, chirp, chirp of the world fades away. Oh, that's my desire tonight, Lord Jesus. Lord God, draw me close to you, Lord. Lord, forgive me, Lord Jesus, if I've ever become disillusioned. Lord, forgive me if there's ever been any doubt, Lord God. Help thou my unbelief. Lord God, tonight we're applying the high staff of the Spirit. Lord, we welcome you in this place. Lord, may there never be a service that you're not welcomed here, Lord. May we never put you in the corner with dirty feet. But Lord God, we're here to worship you and praise you and let you move as you see fit. May we never choke out the moving of the Spirit. Tonight, for every hand that's up, Lord God, I pray that you'll just draw them close. Lord, anoint them with your Spirit. Lord, wipe out all the things from their eyes that would hinder from the way they see. Lord, tonight as we rededicate our lives to you, Lord, may this place never become a cold, formal place, Lord, but they, they know that this altar is always open, that they can come at any time and rededicate their lives and pour out their lives to you, Lord. Lord, that's what I'm doing up here on this altar tonight, Lord. I'm giving myself away. Lord, use me as you see fit. Anoint me as you see fit. Move how you see fit, Lord. It's not my place to tell you what to do. It's not my place to hinder you, Lord, and choke out the moving of the Spirit. It's my place, Lord God, to say, not my will, but your will, Lord. Be it unto me, Lord Jesus. Be it unto me. Lord God, as you're sending the promised Son, be it unto me, Father. Lord, we love you tonight. Lord, I pray all things that we said are said in love. No malice, Lord Jesus, but desire, Lord God, to see people back in step with the word to see people turn around from Emmaus and come back where they belong have your way Father we pray in Jesus precious thank you yes Lord Jesus can you say that tonight can you make that your prayer tonight Lord I don't want to be blind like Laodicea there's a blinding prophesied for this age but Lord I want to see you 
Lord, you promised Isaiah tonight. I want to see you. Lord, you promised that I could see you clearly. I want to see you tonight. Yes, Lord Jesus. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. Evening Light Tabernacle, do we really want to see him tonight? Can we lay down all our pride and all our preconceived ideas about how things are supposed to be and say, Lord God, just let me see you. Lord, not man's ideas, not man's opinions, not what I think, but I want to see you tonight, Lord Jesus. Reveal yourself to me tonight, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, shine in the light of your glory. Arise and shine tonight, even like tabernacle. Your light has come in the midst of darkness. His glory is upon you. You are highly favored of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord God. How we love you, Lord. I want to see you.